Jesse James, Bonnie and Clyde, Al Capone. On Truth Encounter, we're going to add to the most wanted list. These bandits do not rob our safes, but they can leave us spiritually bankrupt. The Apostle Jude speaks of these three outlaws in his little epistle placed right in front of the book of Revelation. Let's join our Truth Encounter study leader as he prays for wisdom to discern this passage. I ask you, Father, that your spirit as a result of us being together today would do all the different works he needs to do, the works of convicting, of drawing us away from sinful temptation, the work of encouragement, the work of answering some questions that we have, uh, calming fears and doubts. We just would ask you that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to move mightily through the book of Jude as we all sit in, in this very important time and we listen to the apostolic doctrine, we listen to the great truths that you revealed to your apostles many years ago. But we realize that because your Holy Spirit dwells in our lives that he can illumine our minds and he can interpret it for us and make it very applicable so that we will know how to live safely from the spiritual side of life in today's world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine that you went to a church family and the pastor began his presentation by saying that during this past week I had a very unbelievably exciting dream. And in this dream, I was caught up into the heavenly realm and I had some heavenly beings that appeared to me. And these heavenly beings have given me some new insights, some new revelation that I want to give to you today. As this church family service began to develop, the pastor went on and explained to you that right now, because you are the children of God, you can... You can condemn Satan. You can just call out against Satan and you can claim total victory over Satan. Just tell Satan to get lost. In other words, in the service, there was a lot of stress upon condemning Satan and calling Satan's hand and speaking out against him. What would you think about that kind of a revelation? Let's suppose the service developed, you even saw some mighty wonders that took place. There were some people that were unbelievably healed and it just seemed that there was just a tremendous emotional experience. As you sat in that service, I mean, you felt like they could scrape you right off the ceiling. You were just so excited. You had warm feelings. There was love. There was just a tremendous, enthusiastic time. What would you think about a service like that? You know, the spiritual games of life are incredibly deceptive. And it's very possible, even right now at this very hour, you could go to some services around our country where that kind of thing was going on. But am I talking about a service and the kind of pastors that are living today? Well, yes and no. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's why I would plead with you. In fact, the longer that I'm in the ministry, the more that I plead with you to get into the Word of God in a living, personal way. Not a dead intellectual study of the Word of God. We're not talking about going to a Bible church where it's all intellectual. It's as cold as an ice cube. Nobody ever hugs anybody. Nobody's ever warm. Nobody ever gets excited about praise songs. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a very deep-seated obedience to the living Word of God. 
The longer that I pass it, the more, I, more that I realize how precious that book in your hands that's sitting in your lap really is. Because Jude warns us today about some very dangerous people. The book of Jude is warning us about false teachers. And today we're going to learn that the false teachers claimed to have dreams in which God spoke to them. They believed that they were receiving further revelation from God. There was only one problem with these further revelations. It's that down through history, there's always been a tremendous conflict between true prophecy and false prophecy. See, something that a lot of us don't realize is that Satan counterfeits. And even while the Old Testament was being given, even when there was an Elijah and Elisha, even when there was a Micah and a Hosea, even when there was a Jeremiah, there was also false prophets that were claiming insight into the spiritual realm. We have that same kind of thing going on today. In fact, I've heard of a pastor on the West Coast who was mightily used of God to create a real moving of the Spirit. Many new churches were founded, but that whole movement split over the authority of the Word of God. Some of the pastors started saying, listen, we dream dreams. We receive revelations. They have just as much authority. They have just as much precedent as the inspired Word of God. And this pastor held firm and said, no, they do not. The Word of God always needs to take precedence. And so the movement split down the middle. I promise you that every one of you at some time in your Christian life are going to be challenged between whether or not you're going to walk a pathway that is consistent with what you read in the Word of God or whether or not you walk a pathway that is consistent with the way you feel. See, one of the things that a false teacher is able to appeal to in every one of us is that we are very susceptible to experience. If you really feel it, especially in today's world, if you really experience something, if you witness evidently some tremendous power, in today's world which stresses the authority of experience, we're very much tempted to go following after that kind of a teacher. Well, I believe that the Lord allowed the first century church to face just about every temptation and every test and every challenge that any church could ever face. And the reason the Lord did that is so that we could have recorded in the pages and the letters of the New Testament all the information that we need to be able to live a healthy, confident, strong spiritual life. Because after all, if we make the wrong choice about our spiritual teaching, it could be our spiritual death. It could be the spiritual death of our family, so it's very, very heavy. And so today Jude warns us about three notorious outlaws. Let's turn to the book of Jude, and he's talking further about the false teachers. The last time I taught you, I talked to you about three notorious groups of people. I told you there are three groups that as daddies, you need to be sure that your sons and your daughters are very careful to stay away from these groups. Groups that are like the wandering generation of the children of Israel that failed to enter the promised land. Groups that are like the fallen angels that cohabited with the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6 and got involved in rank immorality. And then thirdly, we had not being like Sodom and Gomorrah. The essential thing that we learned in those three illustrations was that these groups were unbelieving. They did not build their life on the promises of Scripture. 
Second of all, that disobedience of the word of God led to an immoral lifestyle, even rank immorality, like homosexuality, which was prevalent in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The essential thing I went on to say to you is that even though our society takes a very lazy, fair attitude towards immorality and says that it's no big deal, we spoke very strongly on the fact that there are people in hell today. There are people that are eternally separated from God today because of their immoral lifestyles. We talked about the fact that there can be forgiveness. We can always come to the cross. We can always claim the blood of Calvary. But you'll never understand the meaning of the cross unless you understand the righteous, holy judgment of God. Now Jude goes on in our text today and talks about these false teachers who are railing out against Satan. Look at verse 8. It says in the very same way, and that's taking us back, like the wilderness generation, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the angels that fell in Genesis chapter 6, in the very same way, these dreamers, look at verse 8, these dreamers. Now the word dreamers is not just talking about someone who had a bad dream at night. The word that Jude uses for dreamers is used consistently in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for some kind of divination, some kind of spiritual insight. Sometimes it's used of a dream like Joseph received where he would be the ruler over his brothers and his father and mother would even bow down to him. Before the completion of the Old Testament and the New Testament, dreams was a very common way of God speaking to people. All you need to do is think about the book of Daniel. What we also need to recognize from the Old Testament is though that there were these legitimate dreams, there were also many illegitimate, false prophetic dreams. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about warning against a false prophet who comes to the people of Israel and says, I've had a dream, I've had a vision, but it didn't cohere, it didn't fit together, it didn't go along with what Moses had revealed. And so the book of Deuteronomy warns the people, in fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, they were told to take that false prophet out who claimed to be a dreamer, who claimed to be a prophet, who claimed to have this insight, take him out and stone him because he is counseling you to go away from the inspired revelation that was given to Moses. What I'm trying to underscore in your thinking is this whole idea of divine authority, divine revelation, Whenever someone says, Jesus spoke to me, I have a revelation, that needs to be evaluated very, very, very carefully. It's a very heavy thing for me as a pastor to get up and say, I talked to Jesus last night and he told me this. And you've all heard stories, you know, where someone saw like a, a 200, 2,000 foot Christ and told him you need to just send all your money to him because then he could carry out God's will. We need to be very, very careful of that kind of thing. Because in the book of Jude, these false teachers were doing that kind of a thing. They were coming into a congregation and saying, I had a dream last night. God spoke to me last night. But their revelation and what they were teaching was not built upon the revelation of the apostles that had, were able to authenticate their revelation because they had walked with Christ, because they'd seen him alive, and because the Holy Spirit authenticated it throughout his church family as time developed. 
the book of Jude, the Lord's brothers, warning against these dreamers. It says three things about them. One, they pollute their own bodies. That reminds us of what we learned about sexual immorality. I want every one of us to realize sexual immorality is bad for your body. Don't ever forget that. Satan will always tell you, no, it won't hurt you. Just look at the statistics. Yes, it will. AIDS, venereal disease, not even to mention the brokenness emotionally that comes from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6 says that sex, sin, is against our own bodies. When we get involved in that part of the satanic world, it is a pollution, just as certainly as sulfuric acid spewed out of a car in the area of Los Angeles is bad for your lungs. It's bad for you to breathe sulfuric acid. You breathe sulfur dioxide, it gets in your lungs, mixes with the water in your lungs, and it burns. It's bad for your body. It pollutes your body. We're all concerned about that. Sexual immorality is just like that. It burns your body. It's like plugging yourself into a 220-volt cycle. You're not built for that. You're not even built for half that. So the writer's warning us. These false teachers pollute their own bodies. They reject authority. Now that reminds us also what we learned the last time we were together about sexual immorality. Every time you get involved in sexual immorality, you have not just done something on a human level, but you have spurned, you have rejected, you have walked out of the authority of God. The problem is not so much with your mom and dad. It's not so much with your pastor. Primarily, you've got a problem with the living God. You have, you have rejected his authority. I have rejected his authority over my life whenever we get involved in that kind of activity. Now, the third area is a strange one. It says they slander. These false teachers not only pollute their bodies, they not only reject divine authority over their life, but they slander celestial beings. Now, what in the world was going on? Well, then he gives us a, an illustration that unless we clear up some details, doesn't help us too much. Look at verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, that is, against Satan. But instead he said, The Lord rebuke you, which is a quote from Zechariah 3.2. In a very similar instance, in the Old Testament, in the prophetic revelation of Zechariah, Michael responded, The Lord rebuke you to Satan. Yet these men, in contrast to the example of Michael, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Now what's the writer talking about? Well, let me help you a little bit about the slandering of the angelic world. First of all, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, the Old Testament Mosaic law was revealed to Moses by angelic instrumentation. In other words, somehow, and don't, I don't know all the details, but somehow the angels were involved in delivering the Sinaitic law to Moses. Fundamentally, the ten words, the ten commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. All of those commandments somehow were, were delivered to mankind through the agency of Moses 
by angelic messengers. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that. Also, you can read extensive Jewish literature from the first century. It was a major idea in first century Jewish thought that the angels were involved in delivering this mosaic moral revelation. Now, the New Testament does not hold us responsible for obeying all the cultic rules, all the clothing rules, all the food rules. Remember the book of Mark says that the Lord declared all foods clean. In other words, Jesus was saying that there was a purpose that God had for all the clothing rules and all the food laws of his Old Testament people. When Jesus came, there was a new day, there was the fulfillment of the law, and the intent of the law was fulfilled by the internal ethical commands of the new covenant. So there is that sense in which we transcend the law. But what the false teachers failed to understand is that Christ in us, Christ living in us, doesn't free us from moral obligations. It doesn't mean that we can live immorally. It doesn't mean that we can steal. It doesn't mean that we can lie. It means that we're free. Get this. It means that we're free not to do any of those things. Not because we have this external law out here. Not because we have a Ten Commandments written on stone, but because God's law, God's morality, God's standards are written on our lives. What the false teachers failed to understand is that they mocked the Old Testament law, they mocked the morality of the law, and they said, we're believers. We can live any way we want to. We're saved by grace. We're free to, to be involved in sexual immorality. We're free to do anything we want to. We're free to curse and do all kinds of things. Watch out whenever you hear that kind of teaching. That is slandering the angelic realm. What these false teachers were doing is the angels delivered the law of Moses. We don't believe in the law of Moses, the moral obligations. We're in a higher level from that. We're free from our bodies. We're free from any kind of moral pollution. Therefore, we can do anything we want to. What the book of Jude is telling us is that is slandering celestial beings. And it's slandering an area that none of us should presume to know that much about. The only thing I know about angels is what's recorded in the Word of God. How much do you know about angels? Not a whole lot. But the Bible teaches us that there's another whole dimension. It's not the fifth dimension, but it's the spiritual dimension. And the Bible teaches that there is an interface between those two worlds. What we're doing here this morning is involved in the heavenly realm. God knows what we're doing. God, in the presence of His Spirit, is here with us today. The book of 1 Corinthians even talks about when we partake of the Lord's Supper... When all of us gather together to have a love feast together and then we eat the Lord's Supper together, the angels are aware of what's going on. The angels look at what you're doing and it has an effect upon that heavenly spiritual realm. Now, I don't understand all the implications of that, but I do understand that there needs to be a reverence of respect, never treating it lightly. Now what Jude says, the false teachers were making a mockery out of the angelic world, mocking their deliverance of the law of Moses. Jude makes an illustration that goes to a very serious extreme. Michael the archangel would not even slander the fallen angel, Satan. 
even though Satan was the arch enemy of God. And what he does is he uses a story that all of his readers in the book of Jude would have understood and would have known. But I have to fill you in this story because we're not familiar with this kind of literature. There was a Jewish source called the Last Testament of Moses. And it's a story of the life of Moses. It has some further information than we have in the canonical scripture. The book of Jude is not saying that this is an inspired text. The only thing the book of Jude is telling us is that the last section that talked about the death of Moses was accurate. In Deuteronomy, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34, God tells Moses to go up on Mount Nebo. Remember that story? Did Moses get to go into the promised land? Why didn't he get to go into the promised land? Because he was presumptuous. When the people rebelled, instead of speaking to the rock, he smote the rock and he took some of the glory away from God instead of being obedient. And the Lord took him into Mount Nebo and said, you can't go, but I'll let you see the land. Then what happened to Moses? He what? He died. And then they put a great big monument up. They put rocks up there. And every year they had a yearly pilgrimage to the burial of Moses, just like Lenin in Moscow, right? They had him in a glass case and the whole nation of Israel walked by him, right? Is that right? No, where is Moses buried? Who can take me to the burial place of Moses? Nobody can. Because the Bible teaches us that God buried Moses and the last testament of Moses fills us in on some details. What it says is that Michael, the archangel, remember that in the Pentateuch, angels often appear almost in a human form. And the story presents it like this. Michael comes and after Moses dies, he takes the body of Moses and he's going to bury it in an unknown grave. Joshua won't know where it is. No one will know where it is. Okay? The, the arch enemy of God, Satan, conflicts with Michael over the body of Moses. And Satan comes and says, Michael, Moses doesn't deserve a righteous burial because he murdered the Egyptian. Satan fails to mention that the book of Acts chapter 7 told us, as we learn when we say the book of Acts, that it was not wrong for Moses to go to the defense of one of his defenseless brethren when the Egyptian was seeking to destroy him. And almost like a, uh, saving a Jew from the Nazi, Moses took the life of one of his people's enemies. And Acts chapter 7 makes it very clear that Moses was not at fault, contrary to a lot of teaching that I have received, and it illustrates again how we need to very carefully read the scripture and not presume upon it. In the scripture, there is not a negative testimony about Moses defending his brother. But Satan accuses him of being a murderer and says he doesn't deserve an honorable burial. Now, did Michael look at Satan and says, I rebuke you. I don't have to worry about you. You're no problem to me. Satan, get lost. Does he speak lightly? Does he say, well, the devil made me do it? Have you ever noticed how, how easy it is for us to speak lightly of the devil? All you need to do is turn on any comedy. Sooner or later, somebody will speak lightly about the devil. Satan's made a lot of fun of and, and And he's just talked about it as being a very, very light, easy thing. Don't worry about him. The inspired word of God warns us, fathers and mothers in your family, be very careful about slipping into that kind of frivolity. We should never take 
Satan lightly. You've got Michael. Michael is the leading angel. In our present state of spiritual development, we don't hold a candle to Michael. One day in Christ we'll be above him, but we're not there yet. In this state now, Michael, if you could see Michael right now, you would be tempted to worship him. He is so radiant. He is so powerful. But all he says is, the Lord will rebuke you. And what Michael was doing is this. He was saying, Satan, your judgment is in my father's hands. You're going to have to do business. You're going to have to do battle with the king of kings. And Michael is very careful never to presume the place of God in condemning even Satan. And so his argument moves from the lesser to the greater. If Michael the archangel wouldn't speak in a derogatory, slanderous way about Satan even, the worst angel who had fallen, then certainly the false teachers who were speaking in a disparaging way about the angelic world concerning their rejection of the Mosaic law, certainly they're wrong. Now what can we learn from all this? Is that our problem in today's world? I believe by way of application, be very, very careful whenever you're in a religious group that makes a major stress upon Satan. I mentioned it to you before, but I want to balance things again. There are two fundamental errors that are made about Satan. One is to just ignore him and act like he doesn't even exist. A lot of believers live their life as if there isn't even a Satan. A lot of believers, you know, so-called believers will doubt that he even is a person. They will doubt that he has any control over their lives or can have or that he ever does tempt them. That is one unbiblical extreme. Satan is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. When you move out into your grammar school, when you move out into your high school, when you move out into your job, we are in a mortal conflict with the forces of darkness. And it's a very real conflict. To ignore it, to pretend like it doesn't exist, is hazardous. The other extreme, though, is to overemphasize Satan, and every time you turn around, Satan's in this house. Satan made me do it. Satan was in that car. Satan was in that. Let's bind Satan. Let's get rid of Satan. Now, all kinds of discussion about Satan. Beware of that overemphasis upon the evil one. Beware especially about any kind of teaching where you are instructed to take the initiative on yourself to do battle with the evil one. The armor in Ephesians chapter 6, if you go through the armor of Ephesians chapter 6, they are all the characteristics of our beloved Savior. Christ has clothed us with his righteousness. Christ is the one who does battle with the evil one. We resist him in Christ. We resist him by turning over Satan's judgment to God. We never stand on our own. We never imply at all, I'm an heir, I'm a king, I'm a prince, I can do it. That was the Corinthian era. The Corinthians believed they didn't have to worry about the spiritual realm of darkness. They didn't have to worry about eating meat offered to idols. They could do anything they wanted to do. Paul warned them, you're being presumptuous. 
The evil world is real in Christ and in his holiness and righteousness. We don't need to be afraid of it. Anytime you're listening to the radio, TV, anytime you go to a religious group and you start to hear an overemphasis upon Satan and the authority that you have over him, beware. The false teachers in the book of Jude taught very similar to that. Take the initiative. You are kings. You don't need to worry about Satan. You can rail at him. You can slander him. Be very careful of that. Not even Michael the archangel would speak in a disparaging way or presumptuously, presumptuously offer an accusation against Satan. The big safety we have against Satan is this. I belong to my Savior. The Lord rebuke you. Satan, the Lord will deal with you. And I stand in Christ. I never stand on my own. The false teachers of Jude's day were not aware of how serious it was to take that spiritual world lightly. Beware presumptuously dealing with Satan, and then beware of becoming like a beast. There's an amazing correlation that took place with these false teachers, and I've seen it again and again in my ministry. You'll have a teacher that speaks very disparagingly about Satan, a great stress upon the power that we have over him, almost falling over the line to being prideful. I've seen it again. If I've seen it once, I've seen it 10 or 15 times. I'll find out later that that teacher's involved in immorality. And he becomes like a beast. I want you to notice something. It says these teachers, in verse 10, these men speak abusively about whatever they do not understand. Beware of someone who claims a superior knowledge. True biblical knowledge is open up to everybody. Every one of you can read the Bible this week. All that God has for you is right there. It's no secret. It's no mystery. You don't need to be initiated. Beware of those who have further knowledge, a deeper insight. Beware of that. That's what these false teachers claim. What the writer Jude claimed that they did have further insight in was immorality. It says, what things you do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the things that destroy them. These teachers, now get this, these teachers claim to have superior knowledge in the spiritual realm. They claim to have deep insight into the things of Satan. In reality, what they're really involved in is immorality. And what the writer Jude is telling you is something very important about immorality. It will make you like a beast. How many of you have ever heard expressions like this? He's beastly. He's a real beast. Boy, what an animal. You've heard it in the movies. You've seen it. You've read it in books. Why do we talk like that? Why will you hear people talk like that? What an animal. We'll use that in the secular world. The secular world will use that in a very positive way. In fact, every one of you in this room, there's a part of you, even when I mention that kind of vocabulary, there's a part of you that responds. There's a part of me that responds. That's our evil, old nature. And the secular world, and then it infiltrates the Christian world, will start to thrive on that. How many of you have ever seen in immoral kinds of things, you've been exposed to it, whether it will be the human beings will become like animals, like they wear animal costumes, and they'll begin to act out parts like animals? 
and it gets into very gross immorality? Why is that? When I share with you something, Satan hates your personality, brothers and sisters. Every single one of you are an eternal being who can think, who can feel, who can decide. You're built for things far beyond just your physical body. You're made for things that you can't see. You're made for love. You're made for companionship. You're made for friendship. You're meant for caring. You see, you're not just like an animal. And Satan hates that because in your personality, and in my personality, we reflect God. What Satan's constantly trying to do is Satan's constantly trying to get us to become animals. Satan hates mankind. He hates you, the fact that we've been made in the image of God. And so what he does is he's constantly trying to drag mankind down into just animal, passionate lust. You see, in the new morality, they'll say, if you don't need to worry about any restraints, you can make love with anybody that you want to make love to. You can go to bed with anybody that you'd like to. Just get rid of all the hindrances. Get rid of everything that's holding you back. Just go for it. When you go away to college, young people, forget all about what mom and dad taught you. Everybody sleeps in everybody else's room. It's the in thing. It's the free thing. It's the progressive thing. What I want every one of our young people to remember, when you go away to college and you're exposed to those kind of temptations, you don't have to go away anymore. You'll be exposed right here. What I want you to see, every time Satan, Satan tempts you to start to buy into that lifestyle, I want you to remember an animal. I want you to remember a dog. You see, I've got, I've got two dogs, a male and a female. And when my female is in heat, she is totally non-discriminatory. I've got to put... I've got to take her over to Wally the Lanes where they have an inside pen that's about seven feet high that has concrete blocks around it. Why? Because I don't want to have the wrong kinds of puppies. Now, why do I have to do that? Because CB has absolutely no morality. She has no discrimination. She never went to an altar. She never promised herself to anybody. And you say, well, that's ludicrous. You're right. She's just a dog. And that's why she'll do it at a certain time of her heat with anything that comes along. But, oh, listen to me. None of you are like my dog. I love my dog. But she is not one of you. And I love you in a way that so far transcends any love or any feelings of compassion I'd have towards any animal. When you young people, when you adults, and when we are tempted sexually, don't become an animal. You'll lose the most precious thing that God ordained for you. You are built for something much higher. That's why you need to be discriminatory. That's why you only make love sexually to the one person that God has promised you that you've been ordained to live with and that you make a covenant of marriage with. It's because you're built for something much greater. Don't let Satan make you an animal. Satan will always say you'll be free. I want you to see the truth. You'll become a beast. You'll lose your feelings. You'll lose your ability to be compassionate. You'll lose what it means for lifelong intimacy. The false teachers never understood that. They boasted great things spiritually, 
but they were captured by the dogs. Sexual immorality will always do that. And we never even made it to our three notorious criminals, but our time is up. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Let's just ask the Lord, let's all pray together silently. Why don't you all just talk to the Lord Jesus about the need that we need to have to respect him as our Lord. We've learned today about a warning against dreamers, against false prophets. Would you recommit yourself again to the authority of the scripture? I long for all of you to be protected against spiritual apostasy. I just heard of a precious friend who just walked away from biblical authority. He says he didn't like what the scripture said about, about the roles of husbands and wives. He didn't like some of the things the scripture said about eternal judgment. And so he was just going to hold on to the Lord Jesus, but he was going to throw away the Bible. He can't do that, brothers and sisters. The thing that hurts so badly is that individual has been used greatly in the things of God. Being up in, in Lexington, Nebraska, hearing about somebody that's very close to me that fell into sexual immorality, tearing apart families. The things we talked about today are very real. It's not just a Sunday morning time where we've been divorced from the world. This week we're going to go walking out into a world where we are going to be tempted to turn away, follow our own dreams, follow our own sensations, follow our own emotions, and we need to follow obediently to the Word of God. We need to be reading God's Word daily, then we need to be applying it, we need to evaluate every spiritual teaching that we receive upon the Spirit guiding us in the book. It's the only way we can be safe. There are marvelous things out there spiritually for us, but they're all revealed in God's precious, inspired Word of God. They'll all cohere to that. They'll all correspond to it. Let's recommit ourselves to that kind of authority. Let's thank Him for the victory that we've had over Satan. Let's thank him that our victory is totally in Christ, that we stand in him, but we never stand alone. We always stand in him. And let's turn over the judgment of Satan in our life over to the Lord. The Lord rebuke him. Let's resist Satan in the Lord, never in our own pride. Let's let Satan's judgment be done at the cross and at the great white throne judgment. Let's ask the Lord to protect us as a church family from getting involved in the occult world. And then we close today. Let's ask the Lord of the church family to keep us pure sexually. We live in a world, I think it's probably Satan's big attack upon the church today. And yet it's encouraging in a way to see that the book of Jude is wrestling with that same attack. And there were believers in Jude's day that lived pure, that were able to, in the power of Christ, resist immorality. Let's commit all of our children, all of our young people, all of our families to purity, to morality, to being clean. Father, I thank you so much for the reality, for the practicality of the book of Jude. 
We're thankful for your half-brother who was your servant because of his submission to your authority. I thank you, Lord, for his openness. Father, we're so used to politicians who go back on their word and just say what is sweet to the hearing. Lord, it's so good to be able to just almost be cleansed this morning like a refreshing stream and a cleansing detergent. We thank you for the book of Jude. I thank you for this man who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was not afraid to tell it like it is. I pray that within our church family, that until the Lord Jesus comes back, that we will always have the centrality of the Lord Jesus, and we will always have the centrality of the Lord Jesus as revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Father, we are so easily enticed by our experiences, by our feelings. It's so easy for us to build our whole spiritual life upon the way that we feel. Lord, I would pray that you would help us to become like many believers who have faithfully built their life upon a very dedicated, devoted obedience to what your word says very clearly.